the Memorare. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to you, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To you I come, before you I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in your mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. All across the Gulf South, it's 7 a.m. Time to wake up on Catholic Community Media. Good morning. You're listening to Wake Up on this beautiful Wednesday morning. I'm Gabby Smith along with Alicia Quibido and Johnny Abair. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. It's great to have it. Cloudy this morning. It is great. Always great to have a Johnny Wednesday, Johnny. Glad to have you with us. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, you know. And uh, today we are remembering as our saint of the day, Saint Josephine Baquita. So, uh, Mm -hmm. what a great role model for us. So let's get our day started with prayer. It's always the best place to start your day, right? So let's do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you have created us in your image and likeness, giving each of us an ability and a conscience to seek you and to know you. Despite our fallen state in which we too often attempt to be our own gods and even redefine what it means to be human, You chose to send to us your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, fully human and fully divine, to restore us to the innocence of Eden. And to lead us home, you've given us the Holy Spirit and lights like St. Josephine Baquita to transform our hearts and our world. Lead us this day, Lord, to see your presence in the world so desperately in need of the truth that is in you. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. St. Josephine Bakita, pray for us. Pray for us. One of my favorite saints. Looking forward to hearing a little bit more about St. Josephine Bakita later on in today's show. But we have some great guest lineups for you today. Johnny Aber joins us, of course, with his gospel reflection. That'll be in about six minutes. In 18 minutes, Kristen Van Uden joins us once again. She is an author spokesperson for Sophia Institute Press. And today she's going to be talking about the book by Sophia Institute Press called Psychology and the Cross. Well, you can find it at Sophia Institute Press. So if you're in a rush this morning, uh, that's where you can go. And all of the information can be found on our Facebook Live video today. That's Wake Up Wednesday. In 35 minutes, Chris O'Neill joins us. He's the Director of Marriage and Family Life for the Archdiocese of New Orleans, and we're going to be talking about World Marriage Sunday, which is coming up, and National Marriage Week, which is also coming up. So we're going to be talking about what they're up to and how the USCCB is putting this wonderful week together. In 48 minutes, Aaron Sang joins us. He's the founder and president of Tradivox, which we've talked about before about the traditional uh, Latin mass. And today he's going to be talking about the book called Light of the World, Daily Meditations on the Traditional Latin Mass. So we've been talking to so many people as we continue to prepare for Lent, which is coming up 
in a, a few days, honestly. It's it's just right around the corner. Uh, so for those who follow the traditional Latin Mass or want to learn a little bit more, maybe this is the perfect guide for you, especially this Lent as we continue to grow closer to our Lord. But yeah, like Johnny said, Alicia, it's a little bit cloudy and it is. I think it's going to be a little bit rainy. It is, Gabby. <laughs> in fact, the National Weather Service has issued a dense fog advisory. So that will remain in effect for most of our listening area until about 10 o'clock this morning. So this visibility in some areas is one quarter of a mile or less. So it's pretty dense and that's portions of southeast Louisiana and southeast and southern Mississippi. Again, and that's until uh, 10 a.m. this morning. So uh, use care when you're going into work and school. That will warm off. uh, I'm sorry, that will will burn off for a warm, humid day as that cold front approaches and moves through Wednesday and Thursday morning. There'll be lots of showers. So stay weather aware. Most temperatures in our area are in the upper 60s this morning. It's five minutes after the hour on Wake Up. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Father Chris Decker, and today's gospel is taken from Mark chapter 7. Jesus summoned the crowd again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that enters one from outside can defile that person, but the things that come out from within are what defile. When he got home, away from the crowd, his disciples questioned him about the parable. He said to them, Are even you likewise without understanding? Do you not realize that everything that goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart but the stomach and passes out into the latrine? Thus he declared all foods clean. But what comes out of the man, that is what defiles him. From within the man, from his heart, come evil thoughts, unchastity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, licentiousness, envy, blasphemy, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from within, and they defile. Thank you, Father Chris Decker. Well, guys, you know, if there's one universal trait regarding all us human beings, it's that Sin or blame is always someplace else other than ourselves, right? You know, first reaction, you know, when we're guilty or we're caught is uh, we point to someplace else, someone else, uh, lots of excuses. You know, and and, and so, you know, why is that? You know, it's, and it's, there's many reasons, obviously, but we want to have everything without being responsible for anything. We want our rights, but we don't want our responsibilities. Even, you know, in culture, we've kind of ditched the idea that human nature is inclined to sin. And we've kind of recreated a type of a sinless human being. Actually, uh, uh, Pope Benedict commented on this, you know, saying that it seems the word sin has even been omitted from our common language. That's pretty convenient, huh? Mm. So, so now, you know, there's no lies anymore, just misinformation. There's no, no one steals. It's a demonstration. Sexual sins even look heroic, you know, be celebrated. It's an identity, not a sin. Has letters and pronouns, you know. Crime's just a statistic. Uh, strangely, uh, due to those who try to stop the criminals who are now victims. Or, you know, if you do hear sin ever mentioned any, you know, it's, it's, 
made into this impersonal type of a thing. Like now we have systemic sins. We got patriarchal sins. We got national sins, racial sins, environmental ones, you know. But you notice how, uh, once again, the personal sin, the personal responsibility is eradicated here. But you know, I say, is any of this really new? <laughs> no, not really. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first reading it, if you go to Mass today, is from, uh, tells us some eternal truths about human nature, and the Gospel does as well. Because you've heard that saying, everything I ever ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten. I think everything we really need to know about human nature started in the book of Genesis, and it's still true. And that's what the first reading's about. The first reading has essentially shows, you know, man in the garden, there's two trees there in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life and the tree of good and evil. And as you know, God told man that if he ate of the, of the tree, he could eat of any tree except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because if he did, he would surely die. And we know the story. Adam and Eve listened to Satan rather than God. First thing Adam does, he tries to hide. We do that with our sin, don't we? We try and hide. Then when confronted, he points to Eve. You know, it's her fault, you know. And then they both point to Satan. It's his fault. And uh, so that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's really mm -hmm. still uh, happening today. Uh, the truth is, it was their sin. And so that's, that's where it comes back to the, uh, to the gospel today. But, you know, what's interesting about the, ver about the reading, though, is there was a cure all along. Because you notice what Adam and Eve did not choose. They did not choose to eat of the tree of life. You know, and that same tree of life appears, you know, at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, at the culmination of all things. And it's from this tree, especially now, as our Lord climbed the tree of death on the cross and revealed to us that the tree of life is still there. It still flows down to us. All through time, it's been available to us. If only man will admit his sin if only we will admit that we're incapable of forgiving ourselves and seek that forgiveness. And so Jesus, the new Adam, Mary, the new Eve, they point to the bread from heaven, the Holy Eucharist, as the medicine immortality that flows from this tree of life now from heaven onto the altars in heaven down to us now in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So, you know, we go to the gospel now, and, and Jesus has just confronted the Pharisees who are griping and complaining that the disciples are not following these strict external laws. And Jesus is the creator of psychology. You know, he sees right through them, and he says, you're imposing these external rituals and wielding power like, the, like they're gods. And, as, and he points it out, this is just an insidious way of you trying to not address your own sin within give it he gives them a choice repent like adam and eve or exit out the right door and how powerful it is then that jesus gave them and us this tree of life in, instead so just kind of to sum it up you know uh, cardinal uh, like the pope benedict said that sin is in essence a renunciation of the truth so when it comes to us, ourselves, and it comes to the culture, I think we Catholics need to speak the truth, continue to speak the truth about human nature and about sin. We must say that there's a cure for the culture of death, and that's the culture of life. The secular tree of death, you know, that people are eating from, it's, it's, it's deadly. But the tree of life, the living Christ, is still flows, is still true. 
We can point to reason, we can point to experience, we can point to science to show that the gospel is true, but in the end, we have to speak from and we have to speak to the very same place from which all moral choices are made, the human heart. And that's why I think the sacred heart of Jesus is the source for that. As we stay close to his heart, then he reveals to us our own and helps us to help lead others, you know, to that tree of life from which all the bread of heaven, the manna, still flows to us and shows us the way. Tough gospel to the, uh, today, guys, right? That's right. That's yes, right, Johnny. Most definitely. And, you know, you're so right. Speak the truth, but also display it in our actions as well. Mm-hmm. You know, let people see that we are, we practice what we preach, you know, and ex- exactly what Jesus is also calling us to do. I know so many people who have left the church or have left the Catholic faith because they see it being preached, but they don't see it being practiced. So let's do both today. You bet. You bet. Now, speaking of other great psychologists, it's no coincidence there that our next Next guest, Kristen Van Uden, is going to talk to us about a book, Psychology and the Cross. How about that? Tying in. It's quarter past the hour now on Wake Up. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for February 8th. Today we celebrate St. Josephine Bakita. Born to a wealthy Sudanese family in 1869, Josephine was kidnapped at age nine by slave traders who gave her the name Bakita, meaning lucky. Over the next decade, the girl was sold several times and forced to endure repeated humiliations and beatings. Eventually, a public servant bought Bakita and turned her over to a family in Italy where slavery was illegal. Employed as a nanny, Bakita became acquainted with the Catholic faith as she accompanied her young charge to religious education classes. She took the name Josephine at her baptism in 1890. Several years later, she joined the Daughters of Charity, also known as the Kenosian Sisters in Italy. Known for her gentle presence and her willingness to undertake any task, Josephine worked quietly as cook, seamstress, and doorkeeper. Later in life, she became a noted speaker who raised funds to support the missionary efforts of her religious community. Josephine's final years were marked by pain and sickness. After her death in 1947, thousands came to pay their respects to the former slave. At her canonization in 2000, Pope John Paul II called Josephine Bakita a woman of heroic goodness. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. And you have tuned into the truth this morning with Catholic Community Media. And uh, please tell your friends, tell your family. And when they're not looking, hit the button. (laughs) Tune into 1380 or 690. (laughs) Be discreet, but be, yeah. Anyway, uh, well, you know, uh, also I want to mention, be careful this morning. Heavy fog in certain areas. So slow down, take your time. So this morning, we're really pleased that Kristen Van Uden is joining us this morning again. He, she is the author spokesperson with Sophia Institute Press, and here to talk about a book, Psychology and the Cross. Good morning, Kristen. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. I, I can't believe how perfectly let this uh, 
book lines up with the gospel this morning, where Jesus, the great psychologist, is trying to teach the Pharisees to turn to the heart to understand where their problems are all coming from, our problems are all coming up. So let's talk about this book. Uh, First published in 1958, right? Uh, So who was Father G. Emmett Carter? So Father Carter was actually kind of a high flyer. He was the Cardinal Archbishop of Toronto, so very busy um, advisor to several other cardinals. But he also somehow found time to write for a popular audience. So he obviously had expertise in psychology, and this is our first book that we've republished of his, and hopefully not the last. Okay. So I understand he he drew from others uh, and and putting together this book. Can can you give us uh, some examples of who he drew from and, and why? So from the Catholic perspective, he drew, of course, from the saints. So Thomas Aquinas, the understanding of just how how the human person is. And also, in another sense, he drew from the main psychologists of his day in the sense that he placed them in conversation. He kind of grappled with what was wrong about what they said. So his book was placed at a time that really was the first generation where psychology had started to really replace religion in the public forum. So, of course, Freud and Jung are the two names that we think of that really took over in the 1930s. That's when their work was really coming to fruition and was at its most popular. And by the 1950s, this is the age where almost everyone was attending uh, psychotherapy or knew someone who was, and it, it was really almost a fad, but also was starting to take over in the sense of an underlying organizing principle about human nature. And Father Carter wants to set the record straight about these theories because obviously psychology has a place and it it comes from philosophy ultimately and um, also draws from the medical field, obviously. But the way that it had been presented until that point was from a very secular perspective. So it was pretty inherently atheistic. And Father Carter wanted to marry this this field of psychology and remove the errors with the church's understanding of the human soul. And so he draws both from secular sources and scientific sources and also from the perennial wisdom of the church and the saints to paint a more accurate picture about how we can actually apply psychology as Catholics. Yeah, talk about that a little bit more. What was his view of that prop of the proper use of psychology in the sense that uh, rather than say listening to Freud and them saying uh, to abandon God and use only science and reason um, without God, he actually had sources that were like the Bible, for example, right? Uh, these eternal truths. But so, so where did he tell us where we should actually? look to if we really want to understand ourselves from a psychological standpoint well he the point of his writing is really that and he even has a chapter called the discovery of self and another called the meeting of the ways to understand that we are a body and a soul so we're not angels who are pure intellect with a fixed will uh, and we're obviously not animals who do not have souls which is sort of how psychology treats this deterministic um solely medical perspective, but that we are human beings and that our souls are an integral part of who we are, experience life, and our ultimate eternal destination. So 
he, um, for example, one way that this is really made clear is the phenomenon of guilt, right? So I think everyone would understand today, modern psychology, and presumably also in the 50s, guilt is sort of eradicated, right? There, everything is affirmed, um, everything that could be possibly wrong or different about someone is, is just affirmed, and um, if you feel guilt, then it's something that needs to be excised rather than dealt with through proper channels. So he makes the strong point that guilt serves a purpose because obviously we are a fallen uh, human race. And so guilt, when it's properly felt and understood, serves to point us to wrongdoings and to sin and to be a proper exercise of our conscience. And so he, he speaks of the great healing power of the sacraments, and in this case, obviously, referring to the sacrament of confession, to properly expiate for that feeling of guilt and to and how without that, that's really going to be just, just painful and difficult and can arise in many different pathologies. So if someone is constantly, if someone has sinned, or we see this in, in literature, for example, someone has um, and in literary examples, there's there's always very dramatic if someone has committed a murder and then the whole Shakespeare where she can't, um, Lady Macbeth can't get the spot of blood off of her hand after committing that murder. There's no way to properly expiate the guilt without God um, and without the sacrament. And so <clears throat> that is one case that he makes very clear that psychology on its own does not deal with because it doesn't understand the reality of sin, the reality of original sin, and then also the reality, the happy reality of redemption through Jesus. Hmm. Wow. We are talking with Christian Van Uden and uh, with Sophia Institute Press and talking about the book Psychology and the Cross, which is a republication of Father G. Emmett Carter's 1958 uh, book regarding sin. Um, wow. It, it, it can't be more... Um, I guess uh, of a contrast on uh, on the pro on his his uh, teachings on the uh, use of psychology and the basis for understanding versus where modern I guess secular psychology took off. I guess over time he's been proven to be obviously correct, right? I mean, in a, it, kind of prophetic in a way. I, I'm wondering, uh, Kristen, what do you think? I think so because now we are blessed to have really a flourishing, still somewhat perhaps small but flourishing industry of Catholic therapists and psychologists. Um, I interviewed one for the Catholic Exchange podcast a couple months ago, but back then he was really in that first generation that was sort of stemming the tide and saying, wait a minute, we need to analyze this from a Catholic perspective. And it really all gets back to the core of what he meant with his title, Psychology and the Cross, which is that to be good Catholics, there is a certain degree of suffering that we have to accept for our Lord, and that to pick up our cross uh, will involve suffering, but that it's something that can be united to his, so that ultimately mm. we, we keep our eyes on heaven and the problems of this world become a lot more put into perspective, put into that eternal perspective. It is stunning as we go through the gospel on just how perfectly suited and such a remedy that the gospel is to solving our everyday human condition. Uh, and it's, I guess it shouldn't be so stunning. I mean, he is the creator. He knew us better than anyone. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, Christian, that what age audience would this book be appropriate for? 
I think this it's definitely a book geared towards adults. So he was writing um, for a, a um, not well read, but for a um, pretty literate audience in the in the fifties. So I would say maybe a, a um, older teen might be able to read it. Uh, the themes are, I mean, he, he gets into some of the, the more difficult aspects of the human condition, so I wouldn't say, like, for content-wise, any younger than that, and then for reading level, um, I would say that's right about the age when you could be able to digest the whole thing. Gotcha. And, and before we leave the, something you mentioned a minute ago, if people wanted to know where they could find a Catholic psychologist, uh, someone who kind of falls in, the, in these lines of, of appropriate uh, guidance. Is there a, a directory or a p- place where people can go to find those folks? Oh, that is a really good question, and there must be. I just haven't looked it up yet. So, um, <laughs> yeah, sorry I don't have that right at my fingertips, but I'm sure if you Google it in your area and do a little bit of vetting, um, then uh, you'll be able to find somebody. And, and, and if not, I know many of them since 2020 at least have been not still if, not sure if they still are, but we're offering some sort of virtual support too. So not sure exactly where to go, but yeah. I'm pretty sure it's out there. Great. I, I do know there's a lot of great priests out there who also have some of those gifts as well. So yeah. so obviously get the book at Sophia Institute Press. Can you give us the, the website or and information on how to, how to get a copy of the book? Yes. So it's on our homepage, and that is sophiainstitute.com. Perfect. Thank you, Kristen. I mean, this book is still needed for our times uh, to filter through. There's a lot of bad advice out there. So this uh, returns us to the cross. That's the best place to start. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. You bet. You bet. Well, after this short River Road coffee break, uh, after this, Chris O'Neill, the Director of Marriage and Family Life, in the Archdiocese of New Orleans is going to join us to talk about World Marriage Sunday and National Marriage Week. Valentine's Day is close. It's half past the hour now on Wake Up. past the hour you're tuning your heart to the truth thank you so much for joining us on wake up i'm gabby smith along with alicia quibido and johnny Abair. all of the information from Kristen van uden's interview before the break can be found on our facebook page that's facebook.com slash catholic community media go to wake up wednesday that's the first video you will see on our page And uh, we have links to everything that Kristen has talked about, the book, Catholic counselors, and all of that. So if you're driving on the way to school or work or getting your daily routine started, you can uh, go back to our Facebook page and check those out. Chris O'Neill now joins us. He is the Director of Marriage and Family Life in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. And today he is going to talk about World Marriage Sunday, which is coming up this Sunday in Nashville. National Marriage Week. Good morning, Chris. Thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning. It's always such a joy to come on and and talk with you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I made a mistake earlier on in the show. I said that National Marriage Week is just days away or is close. 
we're in it. It started yesterday. <laughs> I barely know it's Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. uh, tell yeah, us, yeah, this yeah, is such yeah. a, a fun week, you know, and, and I always ask myself every year, of course, I'm married. I love being married. I have a wonderful husband. Uh, and National Marriage Week, why do we need a week to celebrate this wonderful sacrament? Oh, well, um, golly, how much time do you have? It's, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, the shortest answer is, <laughs> That marriage, marriage and family life is the is it really is the bedrock of any society. I mean, the rest, the whole of the society is built on the intimate friendships and relationships and the cooperative work and help of married couples who you know engage in their friendship. They have children. They work to feed and clothe and shelter and all of the corporal acts of mercy is like every day in marriage, family life you know, feed the naked and, I mean, feed the hungry and clothe the naked and give their, you know, drink to the thirsty. That's like, that's, that's family life. So it trains all the people in society to be, uh, to be uh, virtuous and just. Uh, They work in society to help support themselves and their family, which means they engage in work in society. They engage in work in all of the professions and, uh, all of the skills and all the trades on the whole, from the top of the rank to the bottom of the rank of all the everything that people do in society, it, it holds the whole society up. Mm-hmm. And when marriage is not uh, lived or engaged, it's not lived or engaged well, then it affects ev- ev- absolutely every other part of uh, of our our life together in society. So uh, it's it's incredibly important. And, uh, and what's wonderful about it is that it's also, like you said, it's, it's beautiful. Like living a mm-hmm. married life, uh, it's not always easy. Of course it's not easy. It's not easy to be someone who bears responsibility for other people, right? That's, it's, mm-hmm. that's always going to be difficult. But, you know, life is difficult. It's meant to be difficult because the challenges of life are the things that help us to grow. They're the things that make it. Um, get help us to become stronger, help us to become better versions of ourselves. So a lot of people these days are afraid of marriage or they put off mm-hmm. marriage or, like, you know, one day I'd like to get married, but I have other things that I need to do first or I want to do first. And, um, and you know, and there's, there's some wisdom to that. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, when we misunderstand the value of marriage and we put it lower on our ranking of priority, then we end up actually doing lots of, we end up having lots of trouble uh, in, in many, many areas. And so World Marriage Day, uh, World uh, National Marriage Week, just a way for us to re-highlight again uh, for the whole world, not just for Catholics, but for everyone in our country, everyone in our society, uh, mm-hmm. The significance and importance of marriage, and and just to encourage people to, you know, not be so afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and and seeing examples of a good and healthy marriage, you know, I think that uh, millennials, my generation, we're putting off marriage because maybe a lot of times we're not seeing that, or the weight of the world right now, um, you know, yep. things going up, or it's really hard dating online, yeah. you know, dating apps. And actually on Valentine's Day, we're going to be talking to a couple through Catholic Match who met each other and talk about that and online dating. So we're going to touch on that as well. But it's it's difficult. So having this week, yeah. uh, it started yesterday, February 7th and ends on Valentine's Day, February 14th. 
But Chris, a lot of people are going through a really hard time in their marriage right now. You know, we never know what people are going through. Um, And I have been very candid um, with my previous marriage, going through that and annulment and all of that. So, and then finding... um, my now spouse and my best friend, uh, I have been very candid with that on the morning show. It's very difficult sometimes to go through something like that. It, it is. It is. I mean, we we see and work with difficult marriages all, all the time. I mean, marriage is mm-hmm. difficult. And, um, and sometimes when you see and it's, you know, sometimes it's extremely painfully difficult. And it's, you know, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a principle in our Catholic thought that, you know, the, that, um, that evil is a privation of the good. It's, it's something that, something that should be there that's not there. And mm-hmm. so the better something is, the more good there is, the more dark it can be when it's absent. And mm-hmm. so that can happen either when marriages are, are struggling, when marriages um, have like really dark things that might be happening in those marriages that have to be resolved in some way. But it can also happen when marriages don't happen at all. You know, you mm-hmm. don't avoid the absence of marriage by not getting married. You know, a lot of times people are afraid of divorce or they're afraid of uh, difficulty in marriage or they're afraid of um, the fu- what the future might hold. And, you know, and there's good reason to do that. I mean, the real story is that life in this world, this is a valley of tears that we live in and mm-hmm. life in this world is difficult. But we don't avoid the absence of the good by avoiding marriage. And that's a, that's a real important place of faith for us to think about, you know. Um, you know, in, a, mm-hmm. in, a, in most people, most people, the average person that gets married, they will have difficulties in their marriage of one kind of another. They won't feel like they're totally adequate. But, you know, it's a, it's a stepping out of faith to say marriage, family life, children are such a high good. It's something that God maybe is calling me to. And so it's worth doing it poorly. Like maybe I don't have all my act together. or Maybe we're not the perfect couple. Or maybe we're, you know, maybe there are some, some issues here and there. And maybe rather than avoiding marriage, we can enter into marriage and work on becoming the better versions of ourselves that we need to be so that our marriage is good. And there's mm-hmm. loads of resources out there for you for that. You know, counseling, Absolutely. there's lots of counseling out there, um, marriage retreats, marriage enrichment resources, loads and loads of books. I mean, there's no lack of, of resources out there to help you figure out how to have a better marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, the other side of that coin is that there's no avoiding the work. I mean, it is work. It's you have to work at your marriage to make it good and to make sure that dark things don't creep into it, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so, you know, sometimes you need to go get help. Sometimes you need to call out and, you know, find some, say, like counseling or whatever or help from your pastor or help from the church or help from, you know, your friends, you know. Um, but even in the ordinary, ordinary difficulties of married life, reaching out to your friends, having good friends and people in your life that are going to support you or are able to help you. That's a good thing. Like you, you, Mm -hmm. my, my best friends are the ones who I've shared my struggles with. You know, my best friends are the ones who know 
those areas in my life that that are difficult. You Absolutely, know? Chris. And, so, and Chris, yeah. I'm gonna have to stop you right there because we are running out of time. So this year's theme is marriage, one flesh given and received. Chris O'Neill, Director of Marriage and Family Life for the Archdiocese of New Orleans. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me and for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Oh my goodness. Yes. You can go to the USCCB website. That's usccb.org for more information on World Marriage of, of World Marriage Sunday and National Marriage Week. Stay with us. It's 45 past the hour on Wake Up. It's 12 minutes before the hour. You are tuning your heart to the truth on Catholic Community Radio. Don't forget, Advent at Sea is coming up this December. It seems early, seems like it's a long time away, but that that deadline for your deposit is this month, February 16th. So check it out at ccmedia.live. You'll join Father Chris Decker on a four-night Western Caribbean cruise leaving out of New Orleans, December 7th through the 11th. Uh, all the information is at ccmedia.live. Be sure and join Father Chris Decker. We are joined this morning by Aaron Sang. He is the founder and president of Tradivox, and he's talking to us this morning about the book Light of the World, Daily Meditations on the Traditional Mass. Good morning, Aaron. Morning, Alicia. Thanks for having me. Well, it's wonderful to have you with us again, Aaron. Uh, before we dive into Father Benedict's book, uh, tell us a little bit about, I know we've had you on to talk about uh, Tradivox, but just let our, our listeners know a little bit about it. Sure. Well, my uh, it's one of the hats that I wear is this <laughs> effort to restore the uh, classical catechetical tradition. A lot of Catholics are, are kind of surprised even to find out that, you know, there are thousands of catechisms in the Catholic tradition. Uh, this is part of the project under Bishop Athanasius Schneider to bring back into publication a lot of these texts that have been promulgated across the centuries, a better part of the last millennium. Uh, from all different areas, time and space in the Catholic world, and kind of put them in one cohesive whole. So that's the the Tradivox collection. It's a 20-volume set of catechisms that kind of are cross-referenced so they can talk to each other. Uh, that's awesome. a that's a major undertaking. Yes, <clears throat> I can imagine. I can imagine. So, so Light of the World, the Daily Meditations on the Traditional Mass uh, by Father Benedict Bayer is coming out in a newly, is this a second release of the book? The original was uh, 1952, uh, this, and it was really lost uh, in that, even in that decade. It was really unfortunate, but he did a Benedict Bauer, first of all, he's this tremendous uh, figure, especially overseas or much more familiar with him in Europe, but he's a, a Benedictine archabbot, uh, the Abbey of Buron. They undertake a major effort to make the uh, the wealth of really Catholic liturgy uh, prayable for lay men and women, especially. And so his kind of magnum opus was this two-volume series of a full year's worth of meditations uh, every day through the, the Roman Rite and kind of allowing Catholics to enter more deeply into uh, just the spirit of the church as it, it was exercised through the liturgy. And so this is the first time that we're we're releasing it uh, in this kind of corrected, expanded edition. It's a single volume, uh, and it's it's tremendous. It's an excellent uh, piece of meditation. Wonderful. And it just came out last the end of last month. Is that correct, Aaron? 
Yes, yes, the word's only beginning to get out. So I'm glad to <laughs> I'm glad to be sharing it here with y'all. That's wonderful. So, so tell us the importance of so so if you are a listener who uh, does not um, attend the Latin Mass, tell us why this book would be would be beneficial. Sure. Well, as as everyone knows, there's of course a lot of overlap in the uh, the kind of the Novus Ordo calendar, the Missal of Pope Paul VI, uh, as well as the the traditional Latin calendar. Those feasts, many of them align, uh, and so those are kind of always, always, uh, you know, relevant those days in terms of the meditation content. But more than anything, this is really viewed. A lot of folks have been kind of pointing this out. It's like a year-long retreat, uh, regardless of what what uh, one actually hears. Let's say the readings at mass that may or may not be different. Mm-hmm. This this text itself has this perennial value as a year-long retreat. Again, in that kind of Benedictine mode of living kind of breathing with uh the church especially in this this kind of ancient context which is you know those that go to the traditional mass of course see this in in living color as it mm-hmm. were uh but even those who don't whether they're even roman right or uh, another right of course there are the byzantines the armenians you know all these other catholic rites uh in the, in the the broad church that we inhabit right. and this book really gives a key to kind of live in the ancient patrimony the heritage of Uh, Roman Catholics throughout time and space. Beautiful. So this book includes reflections for every Sunday as well as weekdays and 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 feast days. That's right. Every single day of the liturgical year, as well as some additional uh, pull out meditations on some of the unique aspects of uh, the Roman liturgy itself. One of my favorites Mm -hmm. personally is the O Antiphons. Some of your listeners, of course, Mm -hmm. be familiar with that during Advent. We have these, the seven days prior to uh, the Christmas vigil, have these very unique, very beautiful, uh, very ancient, of course, uh, chants that are done in Vespers that, that we generally refer to as the O Antiphons. And, uh, and so uh, the archabbot here, Dom Bauer, he has a, a pullout section just on the O Antiphons because they're so rich, uh, they're, they're so deep for being able to pray with them, especially during that Advent season. Uh, that he he really dedicates several pages just to those antiphons, which, again, this is it's not content uh, limited to the mass, but to the full uh, Roman liturgical tradition. That would include the uh, the missal as well as the breviary or the divine office or liturgy of the hours. It's sometimes called. So there are it's it's a. Uh, content for every day of the liturgical year and more. That's really how we put it. That's beautiful. Part of it added uh, another addition or daily prayers that incorporate adoration, thanksgiving, petition, uh, and reparation. Lots of wonderful things. Talking about battling vices as well, right, Aaron? Yes, it's one of the kind of fascinating parts I, I find of just the ancient form of the Mass is there are a lot of targeted prayers for specific uh, graces or specific virtues um, desired to go to grow in, as well as particular vices that we might uh, be interested in conquering. And so, they have uh, through the the what the archabbot's able to do in this in this book is kind of highlight some of those aspects as each day goes by, but then also gives us a method. You know, rather than just a uh, like an extended reflection on let's say a reading of the day or some uh, prayer from the Mass or the Vespers or the Lauds of the day, rather than just kind of recapitulating that, he also gives a method to, you know, how do we meditate? And much of the beginning of the book is just that. It's a, it's a walk through how to actually engage in the prayer of meditation simply, 
you know, for those of us who aren't living in the cloister, let's say, <laughs> uh, who have to get up and go to work in the morning, right? It's, it's how do we, as lay Catholics, how do we engage the prayer of meditation in a way that's fruitful for us uh, and be able to then do that with these, these ancient, beautiful texts? It's, that's a powerful aspect of the work. Wow, that's wonderful. We're visiting with Aaron Sang. He is the founder and president of Tradivox. He is talking about Light of the World daily meditations on the traditional Mass. Aaron, where can we order a copy? Oh, from Sophia Institute Press, who are, of course, the uh, publishers of the work under the Benedictus imprint. So folks can just go sophiainstitutepress.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Aaron. Great to be with you all. God bless. Thank you. God bless you. Wow. What a beautiful book. So much and just packed right in there. So (laughs) sophiainstitute.com. Check that out. Well, there certainly won't be any reason to say we didn't have any resources for Lent because every day <laughs> uh-huh. on this program, <laughs> we've All got right. so there's so much out there to help us, you know, wherever we are in life. Uh, so, well, let's uh, let us uh, end this uh, show and lead us out with prayer. Let's do that in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, Lord, you continue to remind us of what it means to be made in your image and likeness how to come to know you in mind and body and in spirit, how to return to you when we've fallen, and how to worship you, the one true God. So give us the virtues needed this day to live out our covenant with you in every circumstance, to be your light in this ever-darkening world, to stand firm in truth and charity, and to proclaim the glory and goodness of your holy name. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you back here tomorrow at 7 a.m. Central Time. Leah Darrow joins us with a new video series called The Cultivation of Purpose with Leah Darrow, Faith, Farming, and Vocation. David Dawson Jr. joins us with a topic from Marriage and Family Life and Jen Norton with her book, Arise to Blessedness. Have a wonderful Wednesday. God bless. Wake up is a production of Catholic Community Media.